Well, most of you have heard me talk about my, my childhood, my teenage years, my, you know, my days before Jesus. You know, I was, I was a really a, a very rebellious kid, and, you know, by the time I was a teenager, I was just, I was just downright defiant. And, you know, by the time I got to college, I was just, I was living far, far away from God. And, you know, and through all that, while I'm walking that path, I was being raised in the church. First in the Catholic Church, uh, and then, you know, as a teenager, and then in college here at Charter Oak Church. And so, like, growing up, I mean, I was pretty much, I was in church almost every single Sunday, right? And then just, and so, like, my years in the Catholic Church was kind of like me trying, I think, I don't know if they talked to the priest, but they were like, put the fear of God in Chris, you know, like they're try, trying to scare me to heaven. And then when I was here, you know, as a teenager growing up in this church, it was more like, you know, managing my sin, right? So I didn't, you know, people knew I was pretty far from God, but I didn't want to look that bad, you know, or whatever. And what I, what I really, I mean, honestly, what I needed was somebody who would walk beside me and disciple me. So whenever you think about, you know, whenever you were a kid, teenager, you know, you're a teenager now, like what, what's, your, what's your view of God? Like when you thought of God, what, what, what did you think of, right? And, and, you know, was it more lines of, you know, hey, God is going to get you, right? The word they used back then was smite, right? Anybody smite, right? I have no idea what that means, but that's the word they used, and it sounded bad, right? And, and, and so, like, they just, like, sometimes it just felt like, oh, man, I just, I better kind of look good on the outside because I don't want to embarrass my parents or, or, or anything like that. And, and so this, this phrase that, that we're going to look at today is a phrase that I think in the churches has, you know, been often mistaught, misunderstood. Uh, and the phrase is, fear the Lord. And so when you hear that phrase, whether you're, you're new to church, you've been part of a church for a long, long time, like what comes to mind when you hear the phrase, fear the Lord, right? And, and, and so like, I, I want us, you know, in this series and, and just really as a church body to, to have a, a, a clear, biblical, healthy view of what this phrase, fear the Lord, means, something that's going to lead us to, to greater devotion, something that's going to cause us to want to wanna worship God e even more intentionally. Right? So, so if you're single or married, you're an empty nester, you're a teenager, you're, you know, whatever, wherever you are, kind of family-wise, I'm just, I'm so glad that you're here today. Because I, I really, I want to make sure that you understand that this, this phrase uh, and the, the life-giving way that is talked about in the Bible I really, because I, I, I want us to be devoted worshipers. And so in this series, we're, we're looking at, at Joshua chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, you can uh, turn to Joshua 24. Uh, so if you're kind of new to the Bible, go to the very beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And if you have one of the Bibles from the back, it's, it's page 163. And so as we talked about last week, we're, we're picking up the story of the people of Israel. Right, so they, they've marched you know, with Joshua from, from the eastern side of the Jordan through the dry, just like the water stopped in the Jordan River. They walked through the Jordan uh, on dry ground. Right? And, and, and then they marched around Jericho seven times, and then the walls fell down. And they, so they, go, and they enter into the promised land. And so after that happened, they had seven, it took them seven years to, to, uh, of battling and having wars and, and fighting to, to, to win and conquer the land. And that was filled with, 20, and then it had 23 more years as, as the people of Israel began to settle into the promised land. 
And that's, that's, that's where we pick it up. Remember last week we talked about how, how Moses and God talked together and God says, I'm going to give you this land. This is, this is the land. This is the land that, that God promised to Moses 600 years before the writing of Joshua 24. And, and so now when we, we pick it up, we're, we're at Joshua, he's 110 years old. And he's gathered the, 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 all the people of Israel, all the leaders of Israel. He's like, I, here's, I, I want to give you my final words before I die. Now remember, Moses wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land. And so he handed off the, the baton of leadership to, to Joshua to, to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And Joshua, he was, he was a great war hero. He, he led them to, to many victories to, to get them where they are when we pick it up in Joshua 24. And so at this point, Israel's no longer at war. And I don't know about you, but you know, Joshua, he, he noticed something that was changing in the people of Israel. He started watching how, how they were worshiping God, and they, he began to, to, to realize that they, they're beginning to drift away from, from a kind of worship that, that honors God. In fact, they, they were starting to worship other gods, small g gods instead of the one true God. I wonder if the same thing is for us, same thing is for us today. You know, when, when we're in times of war, when we're in times of, of, of strife, you know, struggles in our marriage, health issues, relationship issues, when things are, are not going good, I don't know about you, I spend a whole lot more time on my knees in those times than I do whenever things are good. And as we're picking it up in Joshua 24, things, things are good. And, and, and they're starting to drift away from God. There, there's a saying that goes something like this. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. Let, let me say that again. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. Joshua was a strong man. But the people of Israel, they, they had forgotten what, what God had done for them in, in the wilderness and in Egypt and, and conquering the promised land. And so Joshua says this in Joshua 24, 14. This is the, the verse we're going to land on today. He writes, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So if you got into the habit of writing in your Bible during our, our summer series, uh, may, you may want to underline two phrases. First phrase is fear the Lord, and the second phrase is throw away the gods. And then, uh, and then circle the word worshipped. Right? So, so when we think about fear the Lord, Many people, like me when I was younger, kind of get this idea of kind of cringing in fear, like, oh no, right, he's going to get me. But, but the biblical concept of, of fear of the Lord is, is so much broader and so much deeper. See, fearing the Lord means having such a deep respect for God that, that we want to please him in everything that we do and everything that we say. And so fear of the Lord isn't meant to be a hammer to beat us down. You know, like, like, and maybe, maybe some of you might be like me, but you know, like when I was being defiant to my mom, what did she say? You wait till your dad gets home, right? 
She would send me to my room right now. I'd sit on the edge of my bed and be like, what's you going to do this time? Oh, no. You know, I'd write this story about how awful it was going to be and all that kind of stuff. And I think we take that kind of concept of our dad and punishing us because we have been bad. And we, we put it on God Almighty. Right? We, we walk around like fear. Lord, oh, no. Oh, no. He's going to get me. Right? And, and so, like, knowing that, that that struggle is real in all of us in one way or another. How is it that we can create a a healthy biblical understanding of that phrase, fear the Lord, in our families? So I think one of the clearest places in the Bible that describes how to create a healthy family and and through this kind of lens of a a biblical fear of the Lord is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I, just, I love how, how Moses writes through this lens of really the, the fullness of family, right? Whether you're single or married, you, you have kids or students or, or wherever you are in the station of life. Here, here's what Moses writes in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 and 2. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may what may What's it say? Fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may what? You may enjoy. Man, you'd think you'd be happy about that. When the Steelers are playing New England later, right, just, you just like, come on. Right? So that you may enjoy long life. Right, and so, so sometimes I, I, when I'm reading the Bible, like in this kind of this place right here, like, I'm just like I gotta stop. I'm like, think about this. Moses knows the day is gonna come, the day of Joshua 24. The day would come when they would cross the Jordan River to to the land that, that at that time, like that Moses is writing this, that the Israelites they didn't possess this land, but but one day they would by the grace of God, and this is the day, Joshua 24. And Moses is saying to to boys and girls and teenagers and young adults and single men and women and husbands and wives and empty nesters, he's like, look, in in like 40, maybe 50 years into the future, he's like, "I, I want you and I want your children and I want your grandchildren and every generation after that to fear the Lord. Why? So that you may enjoy long life. So I said it earlier, I said that, you know, fearing the Lord, it means having this, this deep respect for God, that, that we want to please him in all that we do and all that we say. And so this is, this is a perfect opportunity for Moses. Like if Moses wanted to scare people to God, like this is, this is the moment to do it. Right? This is like, instead of writing what he did, he would have written something like, hey, I, I want you to fear the Lord so that you would be little peons with little value or worth to a cruel God in a distant heaven. That's not what he wrote. No, instead he says, I, I'm going to give you some, some simple, I want to give you some clear instructions that if you follow them, it will form your heart. It will form your life in God. It'll be for your, glory, your good and God's glory. So what about today? What about for you and me in our homes and our families? How, how do we create our, our homes to be a place of worship? So I have three points for today if you want to take a few notes. And the first thing is we want to infuse awe. Infuse awe. David writes this in Psalm 145, verses 3 to 5. Great is the Lord 
and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. Do you, do you see what King David is doing here as he's writing this? He, he wants generations not just one generation, but many generations to behold the beauty and the majesty of God Almighty. That so much so that, that one generation is going to tell another generation, is going to tell another generation, is going to tell another generation. Like we're, we're supposed to talk about God's glory. And then he says, look, then you need to stop. You need to slow down and just actually spend some time thinking about meditating about all God has done. And I think that's what Joshua's doing here in Joshua 24. He's like, look, guys, look, look what all that God has done for us. And so and it's going to take all of for every one of us, right, to, to slow down. We, we, we can go so fast, we're so busy, but the only way that we're going to be able to consider, to meditate on everything that God has done for us is to hit the pause button. You know, last week I, I handed, we handed out stones. And we said, hey, what's your, what's your word? What's a word that will remind you of all that God has done for you? Maybe it's a moment where you, where you knew God was at work in your life. And it takes, takes some time to, to sit down and, and get that Sharpie out and, and write it on that stone so that you can remember. It can be someplace where you can see it. To remember. Because it's, it's like, we have, we have to remember what he's done because, like, for what he's done for us in Jesus, what, he, what he's done for us in creation, and really, I mean, come on, and every single aspect of our lives. And when we do that, when we slow down, when we stop, it forms awe in us. So author Paul David Tripp wrote, wrote a book called Awe. And if, you, if you want to read a book this year, read this book. It's amazing. And so, you see, Paul David Tripp writes in, in the preface, he says this, I am more aware than ever that I have a fickle and wandering heart. I wish I could say that every moment I enjoy some creative thing initiates in me a deeper worship of the creator, but it doesn't. Empirical evidence in my life betrays me that I give my heart to the worship of the thing that has been made rather than the one who has made it. Spending when I don't really have a need, envying what someone else has, eating when I'm not really that hungry. I need to spend more time gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. I need to put my heart in a place where it can again be in awe of the grandeur of God that reaches far beyond the bounds of the most expressive words in the human vocabulary. I need awe of him to recapture, refocus, and redirect my heart again and again. And I need to remember that the war for the awe of my heart still wages inside of me. You and I, we, we were created for the awe of God. Right? No, no other awe, I mean, no other awe can really satisfy us. Right? And it's just, so, so no other awe can, can put something in our, our heart, like the, the, the peace, the, the security, really the, the rest that every one of us seeks. So Joshua, he looks at the people of Israel and, and he says, look, look, throw away 
Guys, you, you need to throw away these, these idols of, of your past and, and worship the one true God. So how, how do we create, how, how, how do we you know, worship God with awe? I think we, we, it's not just Sunday morning, and, it, and it's got to be Sunday morning, but it's got to be beyond that, right? I, like we, we have to look for those moments in the ordinary to see the extraordinary God. So, so let me give you a couple of examples. So let's say that you decide, you know, you're going to go to the Pittsburgh Zoo, right? Whether you're single, married, you've got kids or, or whatever. And so on the way there, you're like, I'm going to be intentional about this. Let, let's listen to Genesis 1, the creation story on the Bible app as we're driving to the zoo. Right? And, and, and so, like, this, this isn't something you just do with your kids, right? Adults can actually do this as well, right? So as you're walking through the zoo, you, you, you can, like, think about how, how God made every single one of those animals for our good and, and his glory. Right? Or, or, or maybe, you know, this is one, for me, this is, like, one of my favorite times of the year. Right? As we're, we're transitioning in the fall, we, we still have a few flowers in our yard that, that are in bloom. But you know what it takes to, to smell the roses, to smell the flowers? Slowing down. Walking over and bending down and, and smelling it. And you can be like, you can talk to your kids about this. You can talk to your spouse about this, your friends about this. Like God has, has ordained it that there would be a fragrance that came from this flower. That it would have beauty that I can see with my eyes. I have, God gave me a nose that I could smell it. Right? This is, it's, it's, it's recognizing all how God is at work and all around us. Right? Or, or, or maybe you're with some friends and you're hiking through the woods and you're stepping on these leaves and they're cracking under your boots or whatever. And you look up and you're like, God made these trees with these arms that are extended to heaven in, in worship to our Heavenly Father. Or, or maybe whenever you're sick or someone in your family is not feeling well or whatever, and you're just like, God, wow, God created us like this, with this, this delicate interdependent system that, that, that must work in complete harmony that, that will enjoy life. Right? And, then, and then, then when it's not happening, right, we'll be like, oh, God, could, could you bring healing? I mean, think about just every aspect of our lives the lens of awe of our Heavenly Father. I mean, think about this. God created an eternal home in heaven for every one of us who put our faith in Jesus. Will there be no more sickness, no more pain, no cancer? In fact, it will be perfect. Perfect. That's what God has done for us. Right? And so we have this awesome privilege and joy to see God's glory every day. Do you see it? Do you notice it? Does it bring awe into your life? The second thing we need to do is we, we need to instill some protections. Joshua 24, 14 says, Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Paul writes, Therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. And so in both of those verses, there, there's absolute, absolutely like intentionality. They're, they're action verbs. right? They're action-oriented. Like these, these, these false gods that are in your life and in my life and the people of Israel's life, they don't disappear on their own. right? We, we are responsible for removing them from our lives and from our families. So think about your life. 
Well, what are some, some small G gods or some false idols in your life that you need to get rid of, that you need to steal some protection around you? Because come on, God knows us so well, right? Our nature has not changed since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. He knew we needed some guardrails around us to protect us, so God gave us the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. He just brought the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, right? And he declares, look, guys, I'm your God. I'm the one who did this for you, and so I'm going to give you some commandments to protect you. It's going to be for your protection, for your good. So what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, don't create idols that you'll worship. Third commandment, don't misuse the name of God. Fourth commandment, practice Sabbath keeping. So the first four commandments that God gives to us, right, is all about our relationship with God. It's our, our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father. He's just he's giving us clear, intentional directions that is meant to protect our relationship with him. So Joshua and, and Paul, they're, they're reminding us of, of us this broad principle that we are supposed to put God first in every way and in every aspect of our lives. And then he, he's like, look, the other stuff, like get away from it as quickly as you possibly can. Anything, get away from anything that takes away our affections from worshiping God Almighty. So what are some things you need to throw away? Things that you need to flee from. You know, we have some alcoholics in our church, and, and they know, like, they cannot have any alcohol whatsoever in their house, not a single drop. They got to get rid of it. People who are, who are addicted to gambling, they know they can't have the app on their phone, they, they can't go over to the casino, they can't have anything to do with it because it's a place of vulnerability. You know, most statistics today say that the average age a child's first exposure to pornography is 11 years old. 11. And most scholars agree that most of the time their, their first, first exposure is accidental. But we give our kids these phones that have more technology on in them than, than were in the first rocket that went to the moon. Like, here you go. Like we, we, need, we need to put guardrails, we need protection around our kids, around our marriages, around our families. Because right? here's the thing, that the challenge is rules don't change hearts. Relationships do. And so we need to put these guardrails in our lives to, to protect us so that we can be infused with awe of our Heavenly Father. Then number three, we need to inspire fear. Yes, I, I put inspire fear there because I want you to get this right. right so Joshua 24, 14 says, Now fear the Lord. Right, I, I want us to is understand like this proper way that the Bible teaches this fear of the Lord. Right, we we recognize, come on, that God is loving, that He's merciful, He's forgiving. Here's this side of God, right? But we also know that He is holy, and He is just, and He is righteous. He's both, and and knowing God and understanding God's character means that we can hold both of these in tension, right? That for many of us we think, well, those are a opposing attributes, not for God. We need both to have a fuller understanding of who God is. Proverbs 2.5 says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. 
And, and, and when Solomon writes these, this word, he writes then. So what comes before the then? He, he's like, come on, there's, there, for every one of us who are followers of Jesus, we, we need to have this, this desperate searching for, for wisdom and insight. This, this relational pursuit of God through faith in Jesus. So I want every one of us to have this biblical understanding of the fear of the Lord that's actually life-giving. See, true fear of the Lord, it causes people to put their faith and their trust in God. So Joshua, as he's writing, he's reminding the people, you know, how, how, about their, their slavery in Egypt and their escape through the Red Sea on dry ground and how God destroyed the Egyptian army that pursued them. And, and, and he's reminding them what's written in, in Exodus 14, 31, where it says, And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people what? The people feared the Lord, and then they put their trust in him, Right? So, so the, the biblical understanding of the fear of the Lord doesn't lead to cowering, right? It leads to trust, right? So, so most people in this world, I think they have this negative view of, of the word fear, especially fear of the Lord. But you know how many times it says, do not fear, or, do not be afraid in the Bible? You know how many times it says it? 365. God knows us so well, doesn't he? Right? And so because God wants us to be filled with hope and with trust, not fear like fear I'm afraid, right? But biblical fear of the Lord. He has given us hope in sending his son Jesus to, to die for our sins. He, he raised him from the dead three days later. See, we have this life-giving, eternal giving, loving Heavenly Father. So how do we do this? Like how does this all become makes sense for us? Right, how, how do we inspire a, a biblical fear that builds trust in God? You know, the, the second stanza of Amazing Grace puts it so well. It says, it was grace that taught my heart to what? To fear. And grace, my fears, what? Relieved. Wow. There it is. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. You see, a, a true fear of the Lord realizes, you know what? You can't run from God. So you might as well run to him instead. And so and when you do, you find he's waiting with, with outstretched, embracing arms of, of a loving father. So, so even the, the fear of the Lord, this, this reverent awe, this respect that comes within a context of where God says, you know what? Hey, I, I've bound myself to you in love. And it's that reverence for, for a heavenly father who's, who knows us and, and is with us that really shapes the way we live our, our lives just so practically as devoted worshipers. And, and you know, the, the, the amazing kind of counterintuitive thing in the Bible is, is that actually the, that the more you fear the Lord and, and see him as good and glorious, the, the more you actually get to experience the intimacy that he wants with us. Because who does God draw near to? It's the one who fears him. The one who is infused by awe of him. The one who recognizes him for, for who he is. That, that, that he's the, the one God who draws near to us in Jesus. So we believe. Like if you fear God, right? That just, like it's, sometimes we think, oh, if we fear him, then he's just going to be this, this distant God that I'm never going to know. He's always going to be out of reach. 
but it's just the opposite biblically. It's, it's grace that teaches our hearts to fear and grace that my fears are relieved. And so how do you create a, a home to be a place of worship? You infuse awe, you instill protections, and you inspire fear. Let's pray. Gracious Holy Father, as we read this, this one verse from Joshua today, that we're supposed to, to put away our idols and these false gods, these things that um, just that pull in our sin nature. And I just feel like we, we, we need to, to stop right now and we, we gotta just get real with you, God. We need to get just vulnerable with you, God. We've got some sins that, that we need to confess to you today, God. Some idols that we have set up, some, some little G gods that we have in our lives that are just, they're on the throne of our hearts right now. Just as the Holy Spirit just brings to light those things that have your awe and those things that have your worship instead of God, just silent to yourself, would you confess that to God? Almighty God, would you forgive us? By the blood of the Lamb that was shed on the cross, would you forgive us? God, I pray that we would tear down these false idols and these small g gods from the throne of our hearts and we would fully enthrone you on our hearts and our minds, our very souls, God. That we would see you in all that is around us. We would not just worship creation, but we could worship you because you have done this for our good and for your glory. God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we put guardrails around our marriages and around our kids and around our families and just as, as singles and, and as young adults, as teenagers. And God, would you, would you help us to see those places where we're most vulnerable and we'll put up strong barriers to protect us, God, so that we can be in awe of you. And help us, Father, to, to reverence you so well that we, we understand what Joshua is saying about fear of the Lord. And it would be life-giving to us. And it would inspire us, God, to be devoted worshipers. Almighty God, as we, we close out this worship service today, may, may we worship you in spirit and truth. May we go from this place every day of every moment of every day, God, to, to worship you and to praise you, to be in awe of who you are. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.